the kind of car you're in when you leave the oncologist after finding out the cancer is inoperable is irrelevant. What insurance is going to pay is the least of your worries as you sat in intensive care waiting room with your family praying for her to make it through the night. How you're going to spend your retirement is the last thing on your mind as you hold her hand as she takes her last breath. The size of your house is meaningless as you drive home from the funeral of your wife of 45 years. Those are powerful words. And as a pastor, the more you walk with people through death, they so often turn to you and they teach you more about the gospel than you could ever preach to them. In moments of our greatest problem, in moments as we walk through our greatest struggle, which at the end of the day is facing death, you realize what genuine, true security is. You come to understand life sort of punches you in the gut at times and you uh, realize and have to realign what is true joy, what is true goodness. What, what, what does it mean to really have treasure that lasts? And on Easter Sunday, we gather here to be mindful that those in Christ have real security. Those in Christ understand what real goodness is. Those in Christ can walk through life, through graveyards, through funeral homes, through ICU waiting rooms, and do so with joy, contentment, knowing that there is something bigger and greater than what we see before us. And this is what David, the shepherd boy, made king of Israel. It, it, he is singing this psalm, Psalm 16, to realign himself with these things. David was a man. We think about David as this victorious king, this ruler, shepherd boy, killing bears, killing lions, playing a harp. King of Israel. And yet he was a man who knew great difficulty. And David in his heart, in his gut, so often as he is about to face adversity, he sings. He writes songs. And in Psalm 16, he reminds us that of all the things that we will face and all of the things that we will go through, and as we try to manage those things in and of ourselves, he reminds us today we will never know 
security, and we will never know goodness apart from God. And we see that, first of all, in the psalm as David cries out to God as his security. Notice God as our security, beginning in verse 1. As David screams, preserve me, O God. Guard me, keep me, sustain me. And notice how he, how, what, what, how he phrases this. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. He, he doesn't call out to God to provide refuge in some way other than himself. He cries out to God and says, I will have no refuge apart from you. You, the person of God, is his refuge. And then he says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Here when he says, I say to the Lord, he uses the covenant name of God. We read in the Old Testament that God meets Moses at a burning bush. And, and Moses says, I'm going to rescue the people uh, for, of Israel from Egypt. And who do I tell them that you are? And, and God says to Moses, tell them I am who I am. Now, we think that's just God being a sarcastic jerk. But actually, that's God saying, I will do what I will do. You tell them that. I am the one being, the one person in the universe that always does what he says he will do. I promised my people I will rescue them from Egypt. I will do it. You tell them that is who I am. And David says, that is who my master is. The one who created all things. The only one who can do everything that he says he will do. And he has promised good to me. And that's why he would say here, You are my Lord and I have no good apart from you. There is no benefit for me apart from you. And we see here there is a plea for God himself to be his refuge. David is realigning his heart. And and we don't know the context of this psalm. He is probably running from his enemies. He is probably going into battle. And he says, in the face of adversity, I need you to be my refuge. I don't need any other refuge besides you. I can go into battle without temporary physical refuge. And if you are my refuge, I have refuge. If you are my goodness, I have goodness. There is no goodness apart from you. He wants and longs for himself to believe and trust and know God alone, himself, the person of God, is his refuge and goodness. And that's something we have to do in our own lives. We spend our whole life praying for that perfect spouse, that perfect career, that perfect job, that perfect retirement plan, savings, healthy kids, a life just like we like it, just like we want it. We pray for those things that are going to make us secure, where we're going to find goodness in this life. And yet, every time we get it just like we want it, we manage it just right, in the back of our hearts and our minds, there's always that anxiety. There's always that stress to keep it like we want it. And God is reminding us in those moments, you can't have security without me. You can't manage it 
the way you want it and have security apart from me. Those things are meaningless apart from me and you'll never know genuine refuge, security, and goodness apart from me. And for the Christian here today, we know that. If you are apart from Christ here today, you are in the most insecure place you could be, no matter what your bank account looks like. No matter how much you've racked up in retirement, you are still in the most insecure place you've ever been. Because apart from Christ, you right now are standing before God in your sin that you can do nothing about. The judgment of God is bearing down upon you. And that is why you are grasping for things in this world to make you feel secure. And they never will because you have yet to deal with your main problem. Sin in your own heart. Rebellion against God. But for the believer in Christ, for the one right in this moment who would trust Christ, you taste and you know security. The one who comes to Christ by faith and says, preserve me in Christ. I have no goodness. I need the goodness of Jesus. When you believe in Him, His cross is credited to your account as a payment for your sin and you stand covered in His blood, secure before God. When you believe in Christ, His righteousness is given to you and you don't stand before God trying to offer some filthy rags to Him for goodness. No, you stand in the righteous life of Christ and He accepts you. You stand secure. And for the one who believes that here today, you have refuge. You have security. You have goodness. And for the one who's never believed it, believe in Him. Trust in Him. Quit chasing for refuge and goodness somewhere else. Find it in these moments in Christ. Because when you're in Christ, you begin to realize this. Even good things are not good apart from Jesus. You have a great 401k and go to hell. You can have the best baby monitor. Every breath of that child is picked up. You have the state-of-the-art, safest car for your teenager to drive and still lose their soul to hell. There's no refuge apart from Christ and you can keep chasing after it. And you'll be racked with anxiety. But in Christ, you know refuge. You know, you know goodness. And, and here's the amazing thing about the gospel. Those in Christ. It, bad things can be used for good. There's no good apart from Christ. But then even when things are bad, there can be good. Traffic. Making you late for work. Looking at ways. Oh my goodness. What's, this, what's the most efficient, strategic way to get to work on time? You're racked with anxiety. And in those moments, something that could be bad, you're reminded, I'm not in control. I've got to trust the sovereign God of this universe. And you taste refuge, trusting in Him. You taste goodness, trusting in Him. Something as awful as losing your job, God can flip on, the, on its head and you are reminded that I can't provide for myself anyway. A company can't provide for me anyway. Ultimately, 
It's God's grace that I even have these things. God is the ultimate provider and I look to him. Something as awful as losing your job, you can find refuge and even goodness in that. Something as terrible as cancer can be used to declare the refuge and goodness of God. But that can only happen in Christ. Apart from Christ, those are terrible, awful things. But apart from Christ, they only get worse. In Christ, there is refuge and there is goodness that David cries for here. And he continues, he says, As for the saints of the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Here, the saints of the land, this word is used for holy ones. It's those who are set apart under God's care and provision in the world. And so David looks at Israel, the people of God, and he says, of all the people in the world, they know the refuge of God. They know the goodness of God. They have been given His promises, His blessings. They have been given His presence. And notice he says they are the excellent ones, the choice ones, the precious ones. They are a treasure to God. And that's why he says, in whom is all my delight? I love the people of God. In seeing them, I see something amazing and extraordinary. It is my delight to be counted as a saint with the saints of God, knowing the goodness and promises of God. David says, I delight. I, 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 I long to pursue God with them. And that's just a beautiful verse when you think about what the believer has in one another. What we have in knowing other people who have tasted the goodness of God in Christ. See, I know this. I know some of you are here today and you are chasing after genuine friendship. The treasure you long for is just to be accepted. The treasure you are longing for this morning is just to be liked. You want to be accepted. You want to be liked. And so you're, you're in this club and you're in that club and, 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 and you're, you're, you're trying your hardest to fill some sort of genuine friendship. You're the Insta, Instagram glamour shot model. Thousands of likes and all oh, you're so cute and your kids are so precious. And you put that picture up there and why is nobody liking it? Why is nobody liking it? I know John saw it. And you're chasing after acceptance and to be liked. You gather around other people, the parents at the, at the ballpark on Parent Row where they're, they're all Googling through the fence at their, their kids and, and, and you sit around and why is my kid not playing? Why is my not kid? Why, why is he not doing this? And, and you, you're longing to have something to be accepted that way and you're trying to put all these pieces of the puzzle together so it fits just right and people look at you and they think you're amazing. Your kids are amazing and they like you. And it's a mist. Because as soon as you're liked and accepted, those same people the next day are sinners who may not like you and accept you. And that's why he says here, I taste acceptance and goodness and refuge with the saints of God because they are the only ones that have a context of love, grace, and mercy. For, for the 
for the people in the church, we have the gospel of Jesus Christ and we mess up and we're a bunch of misfits and we, we, we don't always love each other the way we should. We don't always forgive each other. We're not always merciful. But at least in the context of the church, the people of God set apart from the, with the gospel, there's something, there should be something different. And if you've ever tasted genuine fellowship in the context of the church, you know there's nothing else like it. Because you know you can mess up a lot and those people still love you and they ain't going nowhere. You know you can fail and fall down and they're going to be right there beside you holding your hand like no other group, no other friend, no other community. And so like David, you can stand back and say, they are the excellent ones. There's no one who is set apart in the way that they are. In them, there is delight. There is pleasure in pursuing God together as opposed to those who pursue other things. Notice verse 4. He says, the sorrows of those who run after another God... God's idols that are set up in opposition of Yahweh, represented by the enemies of God, the enemies of Israel. He says, those who are running after these gods for provision, for care, he says, they won't find it there, but their sorrows will just multiply. They will seemingly reproduce. And he says their drink offerings, the way that they worship, drink offerings of blood. This was an act of pagan worship where animals were killed or people were killed in war and they would offer them to their gods for care and protection. And David is looking upon that and he says all they go through to worship these gods and their sorrows just continually multiply because they are opposing the Lord. And he says, I will not put their name on my lips. I will not declare their worth, the worth of these idols and gods. I will not worship them. And he says here, it is vain to worship anyone but the Lord because you still have problems. You still have sorrows. And now you, you, you've, you've gained for yourself an even greater sorrow. You're opposing your Creator by chasing these other gods. And so your sorrows just reproduce and multiply. And notice what he says here. The Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. You hold my lot. The Lord, again, this covenant-keeping God who always does what He says. David says, you are my portion. You are my want, my desire. In you there is no lacking. I choose you. You are my cup. You provide for me. You are my inheritance, my lot, land, uh, the, the, the situation in life. You are all I need. And he says, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. And he says, indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. David looks around at what everyone else in the world is chasing after. Provision, land, blessing, what they want. And David stands back and he says, what everybody wants, a, a pleasant place at the beach, an inheritance that is amazing and awesome and ever wanting, what David says here is, I have all of that in the Lord. I'm not, I'm not even longing for these physical things because all of these things that everyone else is longing for, that they're worshiping these false gods for, that they're chasing after, I have in the Lord. Now, you're here today and you may not be offering up blood sacrifices today around the kitchen table praying to some idol that's going to provide groceries for you this week. 
But it's very possible you're looking at another idol. The one who you will go back and brush its teeth. And you're saying, maybe you will provide for me. Maybe you will take care of me. I can provide for myself. I can take care of myself. And here David says, no, if you're doing that, your sorrows are only going to multiply because you're insufficient. You can't take care of yourself and you're just going to continually be frustrated. Maybe you are looking to someone else in your life to provide for you, to be provision, to be your portion, to be everything that you are lacking and to take care of you. And David says, no, they will fail you. They are sinners. They fall short. You'll never be loved unconditionally apart from the love that is in Christ before God. And he says, you can chase after these things and they just leave you more frustrated. They just leave you more angry. You can even chase after these things in stuff. I got to have the new iPhone. What is it? 12 now? (laughs) They changed the hole where the earbuds go in and it's oblong and I got to have it and I'm going to not sleep all night. I'm going to camp out in front of the Apple store to get that new iPhone. And then you get it and you got it. Yeah. Then you want another one. I got to have 1081 pixels on my TV because 1080 just, it just hurts my eyes. When are they going to upgrade this? And we, we spend our life longing for someone or something just to, to fit in that hole in our heart. And it never happens. And our sorrows multiply because we're not looking for these things in God Himself. David says, The Lord is my cup. He is my portion. I have everything that I want now and for eternity in Him. I want to say to you today, if you've never trusted Christ, it's just going to keep happening for you. You're going to continually be disappointed. Quit being unfair to those in your life who just can't do what you want them to do and trust Christ and rely upon Him and then you can love those people in your life that frustrate you. You're going to continually be disappointed. But I'm here today on the authority of God's Word to say if you would bow your knee to Jesus and believe in Him alone and trust in Him alone and and let go of the things you are trying to provide for yourself that you are longing for and you would hope in Him for forgiveness of sins to look to Him as the one who has died for your sin and been raised from the dead and has solved your greatest problem in death, you will be able to stand back and say, I don't need anything else. Everything else is bonus. I'm going to be wise. I'm going to manage my life before God. But at the end of the day, He is my cup. He is my portion. He is my inheritance. This is why David says in verse 7, Bless the Lord who gives me counsel, instruction, advice. And he says, In the night my heart instructs me. Now, notice how those two things go together. The Lord gives me counsel, so my heart instructs me. David is one who is immersed in the promises of God. He would say the law of the Lord is his delight. He meditates on it day and night. And this is the way God gives him advice. God speaks to his heart, his mind, his soul, even in the dark of night. And because he is nourished on the word of God in difficult times, his heart speaks to him, instructs him. And he says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is my right, at my right hand and I shall not be shaken. 
The Lord is at my right hand. He fights my battles for me. He is my power. He is my security. And so I set him before me in his word. I'm always looking to him so I'm not shaken. In context here, David is pleading for the Lord to be his refuge. He's looking to him first and foremost. He's looking to the promises of God first and foremost. And so in the dark of night, when he doesn't know where his enemies are, when he's in despair, he knows where God is. And God is with him and working for his good. And so his heart instructs him in that way. You know, there are times where we all say, I just don't feel like God is near me. Have you ever said that in a situation? I just don't feel like God is here. How could God be in this? And most often what's going on in those moments is we are living according to our own wisdom. We're looking at the situation and saying, this is not something God could be a part of. And by the way, God was a part of the crucifixion of His Son. Any difficulty you go, go through, God will, can still be there. And good can come of it, if good can come of the cross. And so it's the way that we often look at it. But it's also that we're not looking at it through the lens of God's promises and words, a word to us. You see, so often you may think that God's not there, and it's because you're not setting Him before you in the Word. And you're not allowing what is true and what is real to speak to your heart. And here David says, I know he's there. I've read the law. I've read the word of God. I've read the promises of God. I know the stories. And that's why he says, verse 9, therefore my heart is glad. If God is there as my refuge and goodness. And the word glad can even be translated happy. I'm content. I'm happy. And notice he says, my whole being rejoices. Everything within me chooses contentment and joy. And often this choice to, to joy is characterized in song. David is saying to his soul in the dark of night, God is still here. He will not leave me. Be content and have joy. doesn't mean his circumstances changed. He is choosing to be content and happy in God. Notice he says, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. Sheol was described as the place of the dead. This is where the dead would go. This is the, the graveyard where the dead would go to be abandoned and notice corrupt. And David says, you won't abandon me to there or let your Holy One see corruption. The word also could be used for what we would even think of as hell, outer darkness, abandoned from God. And he says, I will rejoice and be glad because I know my end is not to be abandoned by you, that my bones will not corrupt because you are with me. And he says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. And at, right, at your right hand are pleasures evermore. He says, because he is trusting in the Lord, he is being led away from sin, which leads to death and corruption, to reconciliation and life in God. That, that is the mark of his life, to, to be led toward life, this path of life where he says, in your presence there is fullness of joy. All of the joy and contentment that I taste and experience now in the presence of God will be consummated. 
will be fully displayed. And I'll know joy that I've never known before. And he says, at your right hand are pleasures evermore. Did you, did you read those verses? Did you hear them? Gladness, rejoice, life, fullness of joy, pleasures of evermore, pleasures forevermore. You see, some of you, when you think about God and you think about church, you think God's goal is to make you miserable. If I'm really going to serve Jesus, then I'm going to have to be a miserable human being. There are things I can't do for myself anymore. There's a schedule I can't have for myself. I've got to be around people at church. I don't like those people. I'm going to be a miserable human being if I get in on the Christianity thing. Verse 9 and 10 here says that's not true. There is gladness. There is joy. There are pleasures evermore in God because of Christ. And God's goal is that you would know Him and that in knowing Him, you would be able to look around at the world around you and you'd say, they don't really know gladness. They really don't know joy. They've never really experienced the pleasure that comes in knowing Christ, having your sins forgiven, and the promise that you will live with Him forever. You see, right here in verse 10 is the refuge and goodness that David has been praying for and longing for. The word here, words here actually mean that God will be happy with him. The pleasures evermore refer in the presence of God, the countenance of God, that he will look upon him and be pleased with him. And because God is pleased with him, he will have pleasure in God forever. He will know joy forever. Now the Christian knows that this is only because of Jesus. God is pleased with us when we trust in Christ, when we believe in Jesus, because God is pleased first and foremost with Jesus. And when you believe the gospel, you are wrapped up in Him. You are united with Him. And the same way the Father looks upon the Son and loves Him to the othermost and takes great pleasure in Him, He takes great pleasure in you. And that is the promise that sustains David in the middle of the night here. In the middle of the night. In darkness, in despair. It's the same promise that will sustain us in difficulty. You can be glad when you look into that mirror and you see that body deteriorating. And you put that hair color in. Try to smooth out those wrinkles. You can still look in that mirror and be glad because you know God will not allow you to see corruption. There is a day you will look Jesus in the face and he will be happy with you and wipe away every tear. Every sadness will be removed and even those wrinkles will be ironed out. And that is the promise that David says, that's what I'm looking forward to. So I'm in the dark of night and I know God loves me. He is pleased with me in Christ. In the face of your sin, you can still cling to this joy. You can still cling to this happiness knowing that God is not tolerating you. He is not enduring you. And the joy that He has for you, you will experience and know and encounter for eternity because of Christ. We've got to fight to believe that. Because if you're like me, you, 
you go to bed every night knowing, knowing that you failed. And how do you get up the next morning knowing all the difficulty that you made for yourself yesterday? You got to face head on the next day and then the next day and the next day. How do you keep on living apart from Christ? But the gospel says you can go to bed at night knowing that it's not the day that I lived that God accepts. It is the life that Christ lived for me. And just as as he takes joy and delight and pleasure and accepts Christ, he accepts me because of his righteousness. And you can get up the next day and you can face it with gladness. I get to live another day in light of the gospel. I get to live another day in light of what Jesus has done for me. I get to have confidence another day in the promises of God that this isn't the end of the story. And day after day after day, night after night after night, where it's difficult and it's hard and there are struggles, this is the joy that you have found only in Christ. See, David's fighting hard to believe this. He fought hard to believe it at times in his life. The heart playing shepherd boy who sings this song about others facing, chasing false gods and idols and drawing the blood of animals and other men to placate gods. The heart boy who killed giants and lions and bears was also the man who chased after what he wanted so often. As you you read these verses and you see David saying, those who chase after other gods, their misery and their sorrow only multiplies. Think about the life of David, the king of Israel, who's standing on the kingdom that he seemingly built for himself and he saw the woman that he wanted. And he had her husband killed so that he could have her. The shepherd king's also known as the adulterer king. And in a lot of ways, David failed to do the things that he sings for us to do here. He failed to, to fulfill this song. He comes to the end of his life, and if you read of the life of King David, you realize he, he died kind of pathetically cold and freezing and alone. After the incident with Bathsheba, he's never called a man after God's own heart again. And it seems as though he's chasing that glory through the rest of the story. His sons and his family betray him. And many of the Psalms where he is in the night, it is his own sons and enemies that are hunting him down to destroy him. And that's why when we get to Acts chapter 2, Peter says, oh, Psalm 16... David wasn't singing about himself. David wasn't talking about himself. Because Peter will tell us in Acts chapter, 20, Acts chapter 2 verse 29, he would say to the fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and is buried and his tomb is here today. David's body is being eaten by worms. And so we go back to the first few verses and we say, did God really preserve David? David cried out in this psalm, did God really take care of him? Was God good to him? His life ended in such misery and despair and failure and he's dead in the ground. 
We go dig his bones up and see them. Did God preserve David? And you and I are just like David, so we got to ask that question. Is this true or is it a lie? And it was the same question that folks were asking on Good Friday when there was another king, king of the Jews, who was naked, who was alone, hanging on an instrument of torture, being spat at and mocked. And you know what they were saying about Jesus? He saved others. He can't save himself. God's not preserving him. I mean, look at him. He's helpless. God's not doing anything for him. You know what? God is judging that man. He's out here on a trash heap meant for criminals, and he's claiming to be the Son of God. Look at him. There's no preservation in that. There's no goodness in that. This man is a liar. He's just like David, the adulterer. And then three days later, that body that was mutilated, that body that was pierced through, that body that rested on three nails, as it suffocated to death, began to twitch, began to move. And eyelids that were caked shut with blood began to flicker. And he took in a breath. And that cold air in the tomb went across vocal cords that were raw and sore from screaming the day before. And lungs that were stiffening up began to swell with air. And there was a thump in his chest. And blood began to move through the body again. And he braced himself. And he sat up. And he turned. And his feet hit the concrete floor. And he reached up on his face that had been covered with blood and now mixed with perfume and ointment. And he pulled from his face a grave hood. And he got up and he walked out of a first century coffin. And Psalm 16 was answered. He was preserved. He tasted the goodness of God as He was raised from the dead and as He was seated at the right hand of God in glory and authority and power. Psalm 16 isn't about David. David's a failure. And so am I. And so are you. Psalm 16 is about Jesus. And you can't sing this psalm apart from Jesus. Apart from Jesus, you will pursue idols. Apart from Jesus, you will rebel against God. Apart from Jesus, you have no hope. But in Jesus, you have refuge in Jesus you have goodness to the point that one day they will rip cords from your body and everyone in the room will hear 
the beep that doesn't stop of a flat-lined heart monitor. But in that day, you can know goodness. In that day, you can know refuge. Because Jesus says, if you know me, you won't even see death. Oh, you'll, you'll see the cords flying around. But you won't see death. Because you won't be separated from me. You will know life and you will know it eternally. And you will know refuge and you will know goodness. And a former corpse in his word stands before us today. And he promises us something that the rest of the world doesn't know. That the rest of the world is chasing after. And you can taste and you can experience here today. And if he did not walk out of the grave, then let's shut this down and get out of here. Because we're wasting our time. And you may have come here today because grandma asked you. And you may come here today because it just fits in the family schedule. But you wasted your time if you stand before a dead man now walking and seated at the right hand of God and you walk away from him. Believe in Christ. Listen, I'm not here to add another burden to your life. Something that's going to make you miserable. I want you to know joy and pleasure and happiness and gladness. And I know without a doubt it's only found in Christ. Believe in Him today.